with all of the riots in the West and the supposedly evangelical Christian circles as well, championing the pro-Hamas lobby, the question comes, how did the Western world and Christianity specifically get this anti-Semitism inbred into its psyche? Well, let's talk about that as we watch your culture stray further every day. Howdy, Jonathan Fiala for Further Every Day, sitting in the chair of host, but also the chair of economics. We're kind of shaking it up today a little bit again, doing a little bit of a, a different spiel. Uh, but we're going to talk about how a bit of a history of how this all came to be in the far chair to my right. I got Miss Nikki in the chair of theology. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Doing well. Glad to have you there. I'm glad to be here. And we'll be dealing with a lot of uh, theological tenets, a lot of theological history today, in addition to world history. So it's it's going to be closely linked to the chairs, but it'll be a little bit different. To her left, I got Mr. Charlie. How's it going, sir? We are glad to be here, and we are doing great. Sitting in the chair of philosophy, tackling it there from that perspective. But again, a lot of church history today. To his left, we got Jason. How's it going, sir? Fantastic. I'm glad to have you back. I'm glad to be back. It's always a privilege and a pleasure. And to his left, we got the Steve. How's it going? Right on, right on, right on. And I'm, I'm, I'm really getting concerned about Charlie over here. Sometimes he, it, you know, you notice he moved away on well, purpose. Well, not just that. <laughs> I he'll he'll come up and he'll go. We are doing okay, and and I I gotta worry sometimes. Is he's. I would. Like I don't. To, I don't. I, I need to have a talk with his can wife. I, can I respond this. to that, John and, Arthur? And, you know, Please do. It's me, myself, and I. We. We are legion. Okay. No. I'm, okay. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> okay. Okay. All of that aside, let's get into it. And Mr. Producer, if you could pull up that uh, that clip, that news clip from the New York Post. Yes, please. Uh, we're seeing a lot of. You're gonna have to. Yep. You're. You're going to have to figure that out, but there you go. Uh, we're seeing a whole lot of anti-Semitism and actually pro-Hamas rallies, which is staggering. But I'm going to let the news clip do the talking and we'll watch. Go ahead and pull that up, sir. Hello, my name is John Levine. I am a reporter at the New York Post. And on Sunday, I attended a rally in New York City for Hamas. Hard to believe that I just said that, but it is actually true. And it was organized in part by the Democratic Socialists of America. And while I was at this rally, I saw a lot of very curious people, hundreds of people, in fact, dressed up as Hamas fighters and, and various other terrorist or Islamic jihad garb. And it was very disturbing. A number of them were chanting death to Israel or, or, or we want it all or various other chants. And these are things that I heard and, and, and other people heard. You know, this is not like a normal protest where we all just go home afterwards. These people are on the subway with us. These people are in the movie theaters with us. These people are at the airport with us. We have an FBI which is currently monitoring your uncle's Trumpy Facebook posts, and I just hope that perhaps some of those resources could be diverted to some of the people we saw yesterday at this rally. One of the most notable facets of this rally was that it was organized by the Democratic Socialists of America, which is a pretty powerful political force in this country. <coughs> Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Representative Jamal Bowman, both from New York, are members of the Democratic Socialists of America. A number of city council members and state lawmakers are members of the Democratic Socialists of America. Many of those individuals have said nothing and have refused to denounce uh, the rally which took place. 
it's a big question now whether elected officials who have been endorsed by the Democratic Socialists of America are going to continue to accept that endorsement, whether this event, this Hamas rally in Times Square, will reverberate onto their careers going forward. And Thank only you, Mr. Producer. So that's from the New York Post. Link in the description below, as always. And, and you see this not just in America, but you see it all over Europe. But what Europe, I understand, they've been prone to killing Jews for a long time. They, it's kind of their, their, their thing over there. I had a whole Holocaust over it, and of course, they stopped teaching about it, and anyway. Here in America, it's amazing that it's made it over here, and that it's you have this huge groundswell. And part of that comes from a large amount of these people being imported via illegal immigration. That's a whole other topic. I don't want to get into it. But I want to get into how this came to be in American circles and how it came into the, the church. But before we do, anti-Semitism. Mr. Charlie, if you could pull up the Oxford definition of this, I would be greatly appreciative. And then I know you have another definition you want to pull up. Yeah, there's, there's basically two that I'd like to take from. Um, but this is the Oxford one. Uh, the hatred of and hostility toward the Jews, at times including the belief that they pose a threat to society and should be eliminated. <laughs> I think this kind of goes to Jason's point that he made a, a couple, two, three weeks ago about the number of Jews in terms of percentage compared to the world population. Really interesting. The term was coined in 1879 by the German anti-Jewish writer Wilhelm Marr who, uh, to refer specifically to scientific rather than religious opposition to Jews but it is generally applied to all manifestations of hatred uh, of the Jewish people. Over its long history, it has taken different forms, cultural contexts, and this has led to debate about what precisely constitutes anti-Semitism and whether it is unique uh, or merely the specific expression of the kind of intergroup hostility that is found in most societies. That's good. Um, obviously, the, the Holocaust was one major example of that i want to quickly read the one um this so is, i want to pause you go ahead yep. so that's how the world would define anti-semitism yes. yes and that's how also scientifically quote-unquote in the scientific community there was a lot of pseudoscience around the jews and their and their uh uh a, a lot like you have with the african continent how people would, would classify them based on their skull size, their propensities as a race, those things. Now, you've got another set of definition that you would like to pull for. Yeah, this this comes from uh, gutquestions.org, probably one of the best websites that you could go to to really ask questions about the Bible. And even, uh, might I say, outside of the Bible, here's what it says about uh, the definition, if you will, of anti-Semitism. Um, and by the way, the, the, the article I'm re reading from, I'll provide the link to you so you Thank can you. put that in the thing. I'm reading one paragraph. The Apostle Paul tells us, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. 
That's Romans chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. The truth is that the world hates the Jews because the world hates God. The Jews were God's firstborn, his chosen people. Through the Jewish patriarchs, the prophets, and the temple, God used the Jews to bring forth his word, the law, and morality to a world of sin. He sent forth his son, Jesus the Christ, in a Jewish body to redeem the world of sin. Satan, the prince of the earth, has poisoned the minds of men with his hatred of the Jews. And you can take a look at Revelation 12 for an allegorical depiction of Satan's hatred of the Jewish nation. So, and I mean, wrap the podcast right there, right? But I I do think it's important to watch the history. So when people start to talk about, when you hear someone call Jews Christ killers, when you hear someone call Jews, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the spawn of Satan or a, the synagogue of Satan, you'll have, you know, some of the black Hebrew Israelite factions will say stuff like that. Right. So I think it's really important to see where we came from and how we got here. So I want to start off with us looking at the early Christian period uh, and specifically some of what the early church fathers had to say on this. So if you could take us away on on uh, Marcion and, and some of the other yeah. church fathers. So Marcion, back in the first two centuries, this is really the time period that we're dealing with. Um, Marcion was a heretic, and that's not just the opinion of uh, a couple of people. That was a common, that was an agreed-upon term for Marcion. He denied that the Old Testament was uh, authoritative. Uh, he denied uh, that the God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. Um, he was an influencer. So if you think about today, uh, we look a lot of, at a lot of different people using Instagram and YouTube and quote unquote, they are influencers. Marcion was an influencer. He had an impact on a lot of people. Um, his writings, interestingly enough, did not survive, but we know about him because of Justin Martyr, um, Irenaeus of Lyons, um, Hippolytus, um, and there were there were a couple of others. Um, he believed, and this is probably one of the things that really is astounding to me, he believed Jesus was the Son of God, but was not the Son of Deity. Now, that... That really opens up your world, if you will, into understanding Marcion, because he didn't believe in one God. That, that's the key to nail down there. So um, anyway, uh, he was expelled from the church in Rome in AD 144 uh, because of his unorthodox teachings. And interestingly enough, he was under the influence of Cerdo, uh, who was a Gnostic. And boy, we can get into Gnosticism here. Um, but that was after his arrival in Rome. So, it, and I'm glad that you brought up the whole issue of Gnosticism in the early church. And a lot of proto-Catholic church fathers ended up becoming Gnostics. And so there were, there's a couple things I want to pull out here. What's amazing to me is that who were the apostles? All of them, they were Jews. Jesus Christ being a Jew. So there comes this delineation and distinction here that I think is important. 
And it starts in one place and it moves. And we're going to talk about how it's moved, but it moved from religious observance to the bloodline. And that's something that I think is really, it's really interesting. Something that, um, something that Marcion said, he said, the Jews have rejected the son of God and cast him out of the vineyard when they slew him. Therefore, God has rejected them and has given to the Gentiles outside the vineyard, the fruits of its cultivation. Okay. And you can find that in the anti Nicene fathers, uh, volume one, page four ninety three. So what, that is a very commonly held belief, the supersession theory or replacement theology, okay? People who believe in supersessionism do not like it when you call it replacement theology. Yeah. And I, I you know, it, 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 I, I understand supersessionism. I get it. It's wrong. And we're going to we're going to talk about that. I'm not going to I'm not going to step on Jason's toes cuz Jason's going to talk about Romans 11, which is a dead dead to rights kill shot on this. But let's keep going. Let's keep walking through this because and we're, we're going to go a little bit fast here through some yeah. of the different. John Arthur, if I could just yes, hold please. you up for really a, a quick second. Please do. On the issue of Gnosticism, uh, for, for people that are listening and watching, um, sometimes it's tough to understand what Gnosticism is. And you should understand this about Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a moving target. It is very difficult to define because the goalposts are always changing. So Gnosticism is, is it's a very fluid thing. And that's, that's where this really becomes critical to understand because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change. And it's important to note when we're talking about all these different things, especially with Israel and the the land um, flowing with milk and honey, that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We might change. He does not. So, amen, amen, and amen. And that's something that I think really lends well to the next point that we want to roll into. In the 700s, we actually have some really, we, we have some writings that suggest that uh, Jewish people were, put through some extra steps when they had to come to Christ. Miss Nikki, yes. I believe you're, you're handling that well, one. We, we're looking at the uh, professions of faith extracted from Jews on baptism. And so I've got several com um, um, professions here. And um, it's very obvious that there was a great deal of animosity and dislike for Jewish people. Um, if you like, I'd read some of the excerpts here is, is um, this is a, a, a man who is him and his family are they're writing out their creed much to the Catholic Church. And it says, however, because of our pernicious lack of faith and the ancient errors of our fathers held us back from believing wholly in our Lord Jesus Christ or accepting the Catholic truth with all our hearts. We therefore make these promises to your greater glory on behalf of ourselves and our wives and our children. So here are some, of, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I'm going to bring out some of the things from a, a couple different, just so you can see the, the hatred for the, the Jewish people. Um, we're not going to become involved in any Jewish, Jewish rites. 
or customs, nor to associate with the accused Jews who remain unbaptized. Now, this is a Jewish person <coughs> who is going to be baptized and come into the Catholic Church. This is this is what they're writing. We will not on any pretext, either ourselves, our children or our descendants, choose wives from our own race. But in the case of both sexes, we will always link ourselves in matrimony with Christians. We will not practice carnal circumcision or celebrate the Passover, the Sabbath, or other feast days connected with Jewish religion. Um, And then at the end of this, I'm not going to read the. This is what he writes at the end of his creed here is that whosoever of us is found to transgress shall either perish by the hands of our fellows by burning or stoning, or if your splendid piety shall have spared our lives, we shall at once lose our liberty and you shall give us along with our property to whomever you please into perpetual slavery. That's pretty serious. Sounds about like Luther. I mean, that, yeah. and then one of the things I mean, here, it really does. they, uh, some of the same things were that they're not going to practice any uh, Jewish religions. And, and two of them said, we will not return to the vomit of Jewish superstition. Pretty strong words. Uh-huh. We'll shun all That's intercourse with other answer. Jews and have the circle of my friends only among honest Christians. Um. And again, this one here also calls it the vomit of Jewish religion. And then the punishment, if they don't keep this. Well, we know that salvation is by grace. These Jews are going an extra step to actually, you know, condemn the Jewish people, Jewish rights, you know. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the professions of anti-whiteness that we see in the streets today Mm. it is no different in paganistic evil to make a jew renounce their faith when their faith is that messiah will come and they come to the realization that messiah is here that's a good point when they realize that messiah is here their faith is complete and that is and and that is the thing that just blows my mind Mm. It blows my mind, but um, yeah, you know, I was going to say something uh, talking about the history of where it came from. You know, the first persecutor of the church were the Jews, right? Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, the the phrase "the synagogue of Satan" was actually a, a reference in Revelations, I believe, a, about Jewish persecution of Jews. Okay, so <clears throat> but 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 wait. You just said it. Jewish persecution of Jews. Other Jews. That's true. It is other Jews that were Christians. Christians. So in in my... Hang on. I I I got to keep going there. Let them cook. I got to clarify this whole statement. Okay. Well, so there's some animosity in the early church because of this, right? You're talking about losing homes. You're talking about, um, you know, the Bible says that people were drug out of their house, put in prison, stoned. So there's some animosity here. Well, the people who really hated Jews were the Romans. You look at Roman marks against Jews, they did not like Jews. But what happened in the third century? Christianity became the official religion of Rome. So you have this marriage of a deep-seated hatred of Jews from Rome with this animosity of the early church for being persecuted by the Jews. It's almost like a 
match made, match in, made hell. in hell, right? And and I think that's really, you know, what did Jesus say? He said, "Hey, go to the Jews first. So Jesus was not wanting us to hold these grudges, knowing what was getting ready to happen to him. He said, "Hey, you're going to be persecuted just like me, but go to the Jews first." That's where replacement right? theology comes. And, and replacement theology yeah, had some very negative effects on our eschatology. It, it, treatment of Jews and understanding of salvation and understanding of the covenant noted. Also, it had a huge effect on our eschatology. And that's really where you get amillennialism from. Because mm-hmm. they refused the early church, you know, the proto-Catholic fathers and the Catholic fathers of the church they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't have a Jerusalem-centric revelation. Our eschatology, our belief about the end times cannot include Jerusalem. So the doctrine that was, that was born from God through the pen of John, or John's scribe, or revelation, was heavily perverted by this and you so it's really interesting it's really interesting to see where that bifurcation comes and you you actually have augustine really fortifying that amillennialism and for, for those who don't understand what amillennialism is is that the thousand year reign of christ is already happening and it's not a literal 1000 year reign it is a Ah, it's millennialism. If if you want, it's just ah, it's just this amorphous blob. It's it's ah, not millennial. millennial. Thousand. Correct. I.e., God didn't mean what He said yes. He said when He said one thousand years after Christ comes. And so, by the way, the the preterist or partial preterist view does have some. There is some meat on that bone. It's just also taking God. Not taking God on his face yep. when he says what he says. The preterist view is that, it, you know, when the sacking of Jerusalem happened, which, by the way, we know that Revelation was written after the sacking of Jerusalem. However, they'll, they'll date it before. They'll date it in AD 60 as opposed to AD 90, where we believe that John actually wrote it. <laughs> You're going to have to do that again. I, I, didn't, I didn't catch it. Why? Why? Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I so, I mean, but it's it, so actually, Mr. Producer, to to answer that question, to answer that question, it's because their priors don't match what God said and because they hate the Jews, the Jewish people can't come to be. And so actually, it should be noted. And, and again, link in the description below. This is from a uh, uh, article on Shema.com. I'm actually going to read some of this because this is very well, well stated. It should be noted that Papias who believed in a future earthly kingdom was a disciple of Polycarp. Does he remember who Polycarp was a disciple of? John. Okay. Polycarp was directly in line with John. So that is the futurist or the premillennialist view. It is the only view that has an unbroken link to Christ. Every other view of eschatology of revelation it came out of the early church fathers like Justin Martyr, uh, Augustine, these people. The only unbroken link that we have to an understanding of what Revelation means came directly from John and from someone who was a direct ideological descendant of John. So 
uh, Papias thought that uh, we were going to have a future revelation. Premillennialism then may be the only eschatological system that has an unbroken link directly to the author of the apocalypse. This means that amillennialism represents a departure from what the early church believed. Augustine, who lived from 354 to 430, author of The City of God, a 22-volume defense of his theological views, proposed ideas similar to what we know as amillennialism. He was really the progenitor of this. However, even Augustine started out as a premillennialist, i.e. revelation had not yet happened, the events would unfold. The, the majority of revelation has not happened yet, and the events have yet to unfold. So, however, that also comes down to sometimes you need to throw away your theological books and just read the Bible. Yeah. Like, can I just say that? Just throw away your theology and just start reading the Bible. And if theology comports, maybe you use that to ask questions. But, you know, your your commentaries, your all, all these books by Lewis or by whomever, awesome. Make sure that they're making you ask questions, not answer. You know, what, what I, I see some of the problems with some people is, is that they'll read commentaries before... They start reading sections of the Bible, and then their ideas of what they're reading are skewed at a point towards whatever that commentary is. Instead of reading the Bible and seeing exactly what it says, but they'll read a commentary, and this person is saying this is what it is about instead of reading it. And seeing what the Bible says to them, Amen. what God's Word is saying to them. Someone, someone put it this way one time: that is a theology looking for a verse instead of searching right. the verses to inform your theology. Yeah, and that's. And I think that that's when you get started, and you look back at how the dislike or hatred to the Jews that entered the church. I think that had a lot to do with it. How many people actually had a solid? Um, biblical foundation. Many people didn't, I mean, until 16, 16, the 1500s, the the printing press wasn't even a a thing. Right. So they're, they're relying on their pastor or the church to tell them how to think. And um, how many people read did, you know, were able to read back then? Yeah, Even more than that. It's not just the pastors themselves didn't even have the, our new testament yeah we right. we sometimes this is the problem that we're having in our day and time is that we have access to a lot of knowledge i mean we've have so much bible that has been studied and great theologians that have come forward and can and trace the old testament to the new t- testament and make it you know a whole scripture and there are some people who are dismissing the old testament that you have poor theology there but we take for granted the knowledge that we have, and we want to make a judgment call on those who've gone before us like they have the same knowledge. Speaking of such people who have gone before us, I want to get into talking about Martin Luther. That's a really good segue. Thank you for that segue. So let's go ahead and pull up that, uh, that link, if you would, Mr. Producer, the first video. And... We, we're going to talk about Martin Luther. This is an uncomfortable one. I, there are two videos that I want to watch on this. There's two panels that I think are really good. Uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and start with this one. I, I was going to start with the other one first, but we'll start with this one. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. Was Luther guilty of anti-Semitism? 
Common question. So this is a, a question you hear a lot, and I think we've got to look at the broad context of Luther, and then we need to say uh, that we need to understand him in that context, but we also need to not give him a free pass. So the first thing we see in Luther is his initial writings to the Jewish people are very favorable. This is from Ligonier uh, Ministries. He, he by the actually way. is countercultural in that, and he goes against the current consensus and actually favors a good treatment towards the Jews. And as the Reformation went on and the few years went on, Luther fully thought that that good treatment towards the Jews would result in their taking, paying attention to the gospel and coming to Christ. And he was not seeing that happen. And he began to question that perhaps he was too easy on them in his initial writings and should have pressed more in order for them to be more aware and perhaps be uh, challenged and then uh, come after the gospel. So his early writings, very favorable. He begins to think through this, though, in his later writings. And the writing that really trips Luther up is his On the Jews and Their Detestable Lies. And Oops. it's in that writing uh, that Luther unleashes his rhetoric against the Jews and is, is very forceful in his rhetoric. Now, we need to say that he was an equal opportunity offender. It wasn't just that rhetoric was not just reserved for the Jews. He used the same rhetoric for the Papists, for the Anabaptists, or the nominal Christians um, that he used for the Jews. But he was wrong. He spoke harshly, and uh, I think he abused his influence that he had in speaking harshly. So we need to say that Luther uh, was wrong in that. This isn't necessarily anti-Semitism. That's really a 20th century phenomenon. And what Luther was interested is really following the lead of the Apostle Paul and following the lead of the New Testament. He saw this as, as a betrayal of Christ, as a betrayal of the gospel, as the failure to recognize Jesus as coming as the Messiah. And so it was not an ethnic motivation that prompted Luther to this. It was a theological one. So the answer to this is we need to understand him in his context, but we should not give him a free pass. And we need to recognize that he has legs of iron, uh, but feet of clay. And in this, uh, this is one of those instances where his feet of clay do in fact come through. That'll suffice, Mr. Producer. That was so, a very interesting. Yeah. So I, interesting. I, I, again, this is from Ligonier Ministries. Watch the full <laughs> video down there in the in the description. There's more info on that. But one of the things that I think is really important to to make a line on this, and and you can't excuse Luther. I'm sorry. Right. He no, he called can't. he called for the people being drug out and burned. But one of the things that that we have to draw a line of a yes, he's a man of his times. Doesn't excuse him. B it was a religious side. Steve. I know you want, I know you have thoughts. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he had these ideas, but he was also at a point to where if they came and repented and became Christians, Hey, everything's cool now. Because if you, once you become a Christian, you ever, Hey, it, it's okay. Now you're, yeah. I, I'm, I'm okay with you. You're, you know, you you may be uh, you it know wasn't, been a believer in in your Jewish faith, but now you're Christian, and it's okay. Now I don't have these feelings against you, and you're not like that. It wasn't an so, ethnic thing, and and you got to remember, wrong or right, what they did back then was they would kill people who weren't of their religion, and he just came out of the Catholic sect. Oh, right, gosh, wrong yeah. or right. 
wrong or right. That's what they, that's how they did it back then. And yes, it was wrong. Noted. Martin Luther was a man of his time and there was a lot of evil in that time. Hmm. And actually, if you want to complain about, about how evil the inquisitions are, yes, absolutely. If you look at the devices they used, it's evil, but who were the predominant victims of the inquisition? Jews. Christians. Christians and Jews. Christians and Jews. Yeah, they both were. Yes, very much so. And uh, they, oh God, man, could you imagine on some of the torture stuff they had? I mean, if, if you don't know, look it up. Uh, it's some horrible, horrible stuff. The, they had one that looks like a pyramid, and they put your <clears throat> your butthole on it, and they pull you as a you know it bifurcates you into four pieces. I mean, just the cruelties of the human imagination yeah. are full display. And oh god! Yeah. But but m- moving forward, what we see though is that as that progressed, right into the era of the and there's this is why we wanted to read the 1800s definition who picked up on martin luther's calls for the jews to be removed from society adolf hitler again you you've got the liberal church i'm just saying the liberal church has always been a huge problem and uh yes and you know there's the roman catholic church of course and then there was you know Let's say now, in today's 20th century or 21st century, there's quite a few churches that, you know, uh, I would say follow replacement theology, Um, you know, and I can, we can talk about them here in just a little bit, but, um, you know, Adolf Hitler there, there's a couple of quotes that, that were made where, you know, uh, the Germans, they had in, in November of 1933, on the 450th anniversary of Luther's birthday, they made it a nationwide German Luther Day. And so that's one of the things that hitler would do what was the difference though between hitler and and martin luther the difference was was that hitler didn't like jews period it didn't matter if you had become a christian it didn't matter if you're if you weren't jewish and your grandparents were a jew as far as he was concerned, you were Jewish. It was an ethnic thing. It was an ethnic thing, exactly. And you were going to be killed, period. He, he was just, he was out to eliminate you, period. He didn't care if you became a Christian. Heck, I mean, he eliminated Christians, too. And so that, that, that's an important distinction. And can we both, can we all just say, anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish, bad, bad that that we all agree right both are bad before someone thinks otherwise well everyone in this room agrees that anti-judaism anti-semitism bad but there, there are two different levels there there's one of we're gonna get rid of everyone who's not a christian by our metric and there's no no, no if you have this blood in your bloodline, we're going to slaughter you. And that's and both it are should bad. Be noted that's exactly where Hamas 
is at. And that's, that's what brings us to today. Yeah. And, that's and, what brings see, us to the today. the thing was is that in Hitler's time, they called their movement National Socialism. Mm-hmm. So when you've got Hamas that is preaching this out there, their whole, and by the way, last week's podcast, we gave you the link to look at their charter, 36 articles, if I'm not mistaken. You read two or three. Yeah, we read a couple of those, and it's very clear their objective is to eliminate the the Jewish people. There's, gotquestions.org has another uh, interesting little article about why does the anti-Semitism exist? We gave you the reason earlier. They, you know, basically it's because of a hatred of a God. But it's interesting that there are people that think that the Jewish people are an inferior race, thus they should be eliminated. When we get into that kind of thinking, by the way, that was the kind of thinking that Hitler had. Yep. Because uh-huh. he wasn't going to stop with Jews. No, he wasn't. No, he, no, he, was, had, a, he was he had on a his list. way to a bunch of other. But let's make one thing clear. Mm-hmm. Okay, first off, Hitler bad. Hitler bad. Noted. Yep. Noted. Bad guy. One of the things that Hitler has that Hamas doesn't is at least he cared about his own people. Yes. Whereas, where at least he wanted to further one race. Hamas doesn't doesn't even care about oh. their own. Like they have zero, not 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 acceptable losses. I mean, zero. zero care yeah. about their own people this in fact on that, you this on your cow exactly exactly they literally are calling for the blood you you look at the leaders of Hamas who are living a cushy life in Dubai they literally just called for the you know we need as many good Islamic people in, you know in in the Gaza Strip to die we need the blood of women we need the blood of children so that we can uh uh push the narrative for Hamas so that the world will see that our, our, our cause is just. That's literally what they said. So as bad and evil as Hitler is, Hamas, and I, and I know invoking Hitler is always a bad idea, but actually Hamas is just a little yeah. bit worse. Like they're actually just that a whole a step worse. worse. Like, yeah. You know what the percentage of kids? Okay, so. Jason, I, I, I know you got thoughts. Go. of children eight and up in Gaza want to die, not fight, want to die fighting Israel. But what but do you understand up. why? There's great reward in that. I mean that's when you that's that's well, correct. Pay for slay, but so, the point is the point is um pay for slay. About, yeah, pay for slay. No, that's that's the thing. That's what it is. Pay for slay. Um, that's dark. You get twenty five thousand dollars, you die as a martyr your family does. You die as a martyr. But it's funded it, by people here in the U.S. But you know the the for Hamas and for Islamic people, if you die as a martyr, there's great rewards for you and your family, and this is a very deep seated belief for them. So when you see a a young child strapped with a bomb to go over to soldiers, and that bomb goes off. That parent doesn't think that he they've abused that child. That parent in their they mind think that, that is normal. That child now has gone to heaven. And one of the gifts about heaven is that fifty of the family members of that child would get to go to heaven also. So that is a deep seated belief. And so they're when they 
are willing to lose life like that, it's because they're going to be greatly rewarded for it. Correct. Absolutely correct. I was looking for a video or an image to send to Mr. Producer, but I'll abstain. Uh, it's a it, it, it's an image of the uh, well. Okay, what I'm saying it's an image of, of of these these two Hamas. One's dying and the other one's arms. He goes, I, you know, I, I've I've fought the good fight. Go, good brother. And then he gets to heaven, and you know, it, he's looking around, and there's 72 virgins, and vir- virgins being the the Trekkie nerd and the computer IT guy, and the guy with the big glasses with the bandage on it. You know, 72 virgins. Um, but no, but that's what they. That's ingrained into their society, and I think we do a great disservice to them and to Israel when we don't consider that, A, it is a spiritual war. B, as part of that, there's a belief in an afterlife, and how the ticket there is dead Israelis. It's, it's Israeli blood. So I, I want to move us a little bit, because I know that you've got a lot of thoughts, Jason, and, and you've been very silent um, uh, up, up until now. What's wrong with replacement theology? I teased it earlier. What's wrong with Romans 11 lays it out pretty strong. Yeah. I'm going to have to get my Bible out. Okay, so while you're getting that out, mm. I think it's important to know, if you're following along at home, Romans 11, 1 through 2, 12, 11 through 12, and 15 are really the meat. But read the whole whole chapter. I'm not gonna, We're not going to read the whole, whole chapter here for the sake of time. But... It really does deal with the issue of where do the Jewish people go? What, what is their destiny after Christ? And Paul was a Jew. You know, he was a Jew's Jew. And he lays it out pretty succinctly. You ready there, bud? Do you need yep. mine? There we go. Are we okay? We are okay. Our go. Bible drills a little bit slow today. Go. Rusty sword. Up. Go ahead. Romans 11. So there's Romans 11, 1 through 2. I say then, by the way, this is KGB, King James Version, the authorized version. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Hath God not cast away his people which he foreknew? Was it not the scripture that says of Elijah... Elijah, how he hath mixed intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Do you just want me to read one and two, or do you want me to read one? And then 11 and 12, please. 11 and 12? Okay. And 15. Sorry. Good chapter, though. It is a good chapter. Oh, it is. Uh, 11 and uh, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. I'm not coming through. There you are. There I am. All right, to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? All right, then we're going to 15. Yes, please. For if the casting away of them be the reconciliation of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? We're going to go to 26. And so all Israel shall be saved, as, is, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So it, it almost seems, it almost seems like there's still a purpose for Israel. 
You know, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament really does a good job laying out some of this as well. Uh, Miss Nikki, do you, do you think that you can get, or what would it be better to get Mr. Charlie to get uh, Second Samuel uh, seven through uh, twelve through thirteen, okay. please? And then I need someone to go ahead and pull up. We're going to pull up some Genesis quotes here because the Abraham. So I want to deal with the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, and then I want to get Jason. I want to fire Jason off on that. But I think it's important to note that uh, uh, Genesis 12, if you would, 1 through 3. You said 2 Samuel what? 7? 7, I believe it's 12 through 13. Yes, 12 through 13, please. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Miss Nikki. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Oh, read that last part again. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. For those that, that think there is no consequence for where you state your position on Israel, you just got it right there. You don't have to believe. That's okay. You don't have to believe in the God of the Bible. You do not have to believe the Bible. That, that is okay. You, you are welcome to walk whatever path you choose. However, you do not get to dictate the consequences of that choice. That's God. Amen. Amen. And Jason... I know you've got a lot to say on moving into, and I'm 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 going to segue a little bit. I'm not going to drop you just cold here, but what we what what we're fighting here is a spiritual war, and it's been going on Long time. since Genesis. Yeah, it's been going on since Genesis, and 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 you you actually have a few verses that you wanted to pull out about the Canaanites and, and the Philistines, the Canaanites, that whole group. Yeah is really where we see Hamas having come from. So go ahead, fire away. I want you to, to absolutely dig in. Yeah, so the, um, genetically speaking, right, um, speaking Palestine is not Thank you. a part of the Arab nations, right? Correct. So, um, by the way, this is something interesting that most people don't realize. God only put his name on two people, Israel and Ishmael. He named Ishmael. God will hear. Ishmael prays more than any group of people in the, in the world. Five times a day. Israel means to rule with God as a prince. <laughs> Israel, or Jewish people in general, hold, they make 0.2% of the world's population, but they hold 5% of the world's wealth. So you think about that. Those are two prophecies that have come true in the Bible. 
Now, we talk about Canaanites. The Canaanites are not part of Ishmael, right? So, genetically speaking, um, sorry, I'm getting my Bible verses here. This is Judges 2, 1 through 3. Now, Israel goes into the promised land. They don't wipe out the Canaanites. And remember, we talked about a few weeks ago, the reason why God allows any kind of genocide is how Canaanites or how people treated their kids, right? Sodom and Gomorrah talked about the wickedness that was going on and how the 12 year olds, the 13 year olds were a part of that wickedness. Maybe even younger. Maybe, maybe even younger. younger. Yeah. Maybe even yeah. younger. Right. Well, where did it, I mean, if you want to be a part of this wickedness, how have you been trained up until that point? Right? right. This is, this is a wickedness that had gone on for a while. Canaanites. We talked about sacrifice kids, which is going on today. This is ingrained in their blood. You know, when you send your, when you burn your kid to Moloch because your fields aren't producing, you're hoping that your kid goes to heaven. You're hoping you get to go to heaven. And you're hoping your fields produce next year. It's the same <laughs> ideology of, hey, I'm going to send my kid off, you know, to fight Israel so they can die and we all get to go to heaven. It's the same. It's the same thing. So God says to Israel, hey, you need to, we, we need to wash this slate clean, right? Israel doesn't do it. So this is what God says to, to um, the children of Israel. Judges 2, 1 through 3. And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim. And said, I have made you go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land, which I swear to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. But you shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land. You shall throw down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I have said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. So if you look at the Palestinians being of the Canaanite descent and God's promises, I will not drive them out, but they will forever be a thorn in your side, at least until the Messiah comes and Messiah comes in. That's when this gets reconciled, right? They will be there forever as a thorn in Israel's side. And there's, I mean, it's the same as the promise. You go back to the promise of Abraham. Hey, I'll bless them that bless you. This is the same exact promise. This is a forever promise until Messiah comes. And so, and it, first off, does anyone remember ISIS? <laughs> does anyone remember the seven day war? Yes. Or six day war? Six day. Six day war. I had an aneurysm there. Does anyone remember, you know, the 1948 war? Right. So, what's, or sorry. sorry what's ahead. really interesting about the Six Day War is it, it, that is precisely going to those two things that Jason was talking about. That was over quick, and yep. it really should have been an annihilation of Israel, and it was an absolute put down by Israel against its enemies. So, primarily. You know, if, if we had one thing that we could say to the people in Jerusalem and in, in Israel right now, what would be the one thing that you would say, Miss Nikki? Oh, what a question. I could say to Israel. If you could say to the people in Israel, if you could say and every every single person in Israel could hear you, what would be the one thing that you could that you would say? I would say Jesus Christ is your Messiah and you need to turn to him now while you can. 
Jesus Christ is your Messiah. Turn to him while you can. Took the words right out of my mouth. Jason? Yes. Steve? Yes. So <laughs> I, would, I would modify it. I would modify it because we're all thinking the same thing. I would modify it to this. I would say, Israel, your Messiah has come. He came a long time ago. Until you realize this, you will not have peace. I won't, I won't disagree with that. Until right. you reconcile with your Messiah, you will not have peace. That's a good clarification. It, I'm going to actually add something. Most people don't know this. There's actually 25% of Orthodox Jews believe that they're in divine exile right now. And that until Messiah comes again, there will be no peace in Israel. So they, they pretty much pre uh, preach, you know, hey, prosper where you're planted. Don't go back to Israel. Messiah's not come yet. There's no peace that's going to be over there. Just prosper kind of where you're planted. And it's actually, it's, it, it kind of is circle. true. And, right? It's, it's true. It's, you know, until Messiah comes, which again will be the second coming to be the first time Israel actually gets it. Right? But until he comes, there is no peace in Jerusalem. That's why he's the Prince of Peace. And um, if you've ever, yeah. if you've ever celebrated Passover, I've said this before on this podcast. If you've ever celebrated Passover, does anyone remember what the last thing that is said at the Passover next year, next year in, yeah. Jerusalem. in Jerusalem? In Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. If you ever watch, by the way, highly recommend for any Christian who wants to be aware. Best movie that you can possibly watch on Jewish culture is Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. And before you say it's racist that I say this, that, that it is the epitome of Jewish culture, who made it? The Jews. They know. They know. And I'm telling you, I grew up in a Messianic Christian congregation. It's been a lot of time there. Every single stereotype, there was someone in that congregation that was just like one of those people from the uh, uh, Anatevka village in Fiddler on the Roof. But at, at the end, you actually see these people going. And if you actually look at Fiddler on the Roof, it's a sad, sad story because all these people who were fleeing Russia, spoiler alert, uh, at the end of the movie, they're all going to the Holocaust. Or if they survive, they'll be in Palestine, Israel, where all of this fighting takes off. And, and, but the little old lady says next year, we'll, we'll, we say next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem, we want to go to Jerusalem. That's where we're, we're going to go. We're, we're going to go to the Holy land. Understand that they are waiting for a Messiah. If you are a Christian and you are listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube, rumble, etc., know this, you are not trying to convert a Jew. You are trying to convince them that Messiah has come. And that their faith has been fulfilled. That is all you are trying to do. If you are a Christian, you are trying to convince them that Yeshua is the Messiah. That's all you're up to. And at the end of the day, that should be our focus. Wrapping up, final well, I, thoughts I, for I'd today. I'd like to say just one thing, uh, John Arthur. The thing is, is that we've talked about um, replacement theology. And the thing is, is that Maybe you ought to let uh, our viewers know what it is exactly the theology that us sitting here and the church that we go to believes in. 
and it's uh, premillennialism. Yes, which believe you know the thought is is that you know we Christ has come, and the church doesn't replace Israel, and Israel will end up being saved. Not all of them, of course, just like all of the Jews, but it'll be a time when Christ will come when the Gentiles come in their full number is when Christ will end up coming. And, you know, our our belief system is in a premillennialism. And uh, thank you for putting a finer point on that, uh, Steve, just in case people hadn't hadn't caught it from what I said earlier that, I, you know, said that it's the only thing that's contiguously from Christ, from Christ's lips to John's ears to Polycarp and Papias. Right. That's the only one that actually is connected to the Bible. And, and uh, a few years ago, led a Bible study on the inerrancy of Scripture. And that's one of the primary things is. Does this belief have direct contact? Does this Bible have direct contact with the time that it was supposedly written in? Does this belief have direct contact with that? And if it doesn't, it's a problem. Steve wanted to bring up which churches are common offenders with replacement theology. I am sorry, Steve. Before we wrap up. Did we define what replacement theology was at all? Go for it, Jason. It's basically the belief that the Jews are no longer the chosen people, that they've been replaced by Christians as the new chosen people. Now, I don't even think people even know what the chosen people means. Like, what were they chosen for? Kind of thing. If you look at the Old Testament, it's the Jewish people were chosen to bring God's world word to the world, right? God's way of life to the world. Okay, and of course, they, we know that they they failed in that, and it, you know. Throughout history, so now and it's what the, the Christian done? who brings God's world word word to the world. But what's going to end up happening when the Christians are gone? Does that mean God's word leaves? No, it's not no. going to leave. That's when Jews become or retake the mantle of the chosen people. Indeed, right. Indeed. Um, so, who are some common offenders, Steve? I know yeah, you wanted to bring this up. Some common offenders of um, replacement theology are, and and some of the people are going to have a hard time believing some of these. But it's it's you know what it is. It is what it is. The Roman Catholic Church and some Southern Baptist conventions, and it just depends on the leadership. The United Methodist Church. Let me let me. Let's clarify one thing. Yeah. We got to be really careful with this. When we say like a big organization that, like Southern Baptist, it's made up of many. Many conventions. In the same. Ones. That's why I said, said some. Yeah. Right. We got Southern really Baptist not, conventions. Yep. Not, but not every not, church. Not a convention, but churches. Not every Roman Catholic church. Correct. Not right. every United Methodist church. Right. Not, not every Southern every Baptist. every single one. Yeah. And when I say this. It's not every single one. It's some of these. And the way that you're going to find out is by going and listening to your pastor and going and personally talking to this pastor and finding out what his belief is in Israel and how he believes with Israel in the church. Correct. That's really the only way you're going to find out. Now, these are some churches 
Rattle them off. Have these beliefs. A evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Now, when I say this, okay, remember it's some, not all. All right, I'm going to repeat that. Some, not all. So, no, don't come on there and say that. You know, Steve saying all of these are National Baptist Convention of America. Inc. Some, not all. Presbyterian Church, Lutheran Church, the Missouri, how you say that? Synod. 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 African Methodist Episcopal Church, the Episcopal Church, some, not all, Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America, some, not all, African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, some, not all. United Church of Christ, some, not all. Christian Churches and Churches of Christ, Joplin, Missouri, some, not all. Emergent Churches, some, not all. Vineyard Churches, some, not all. Third Wave Churches, some, not all. So in other so words, just, a just about... There's, you're going to find them just about all over the United States. About about half about half of your evangelical mainline denoms are going right. to have that. So just be aware that sometimes that's lurking in your church. And and I I've never been in a church that actually believed this because there are so many other things that happen. Like some of the the nastier form issues in the Reformed Church and some of the more Calvinistic traits. John Calvin, we didn't talk about it, but John Calvin was a serious offender on this. Um, those, those things have always steered me away from those churches. However, however, you might find yourself there. I actually have a really good friend. Uh, he's a very, very famous tenor. If, uh, if you watch Trinity broadcast network a lot, you probably have heard him sing. Uh, I won't say, I won't say his name, but he is married to a Jew and, uh, their daughter and, uh, them are very, very wonderful people, but they've had multiple times where they they've left the churches that they were serving at because if they found out that they were Ukrainian Jews and they didn't want those Christ killers in the church, Mm. like, like they had that kind of that strong of a reaction to his family. And, and, And that was in Florida, by the way. That the, the, the one that was the most serious for them was in and, Florida. You know, you'd mentioned that, you know, all of them are evangelicals. But the thing is, is there's a lot of Protestant church. Yeah. Well, when, when Which, I say, there's kind of yeah, a difference yeah. there. Some are the breakoffs from Roman Catholic Church Correct. and then got the evangelicals kind of there. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you're speaking up, too, because... So, <laughs> we need a new mixer. We need a new mixer so we can get more mics on the same mixer. This is its own uh, mic going into the show computer. So if you ever hear a little bit of weird audio, that's unfortunately. You. Uh, but any other thoughts before we go to final question? Okay. Now, how should we as Christians, and I'm going to go from each chair this time, from the chair that you're sitting in, from the theological chair, how should we, as Christians, view Israel and the Jewish people? Well, I'm going with God. I, I'm any to me, anything against Israel, you're going against God. 
I want to be blessed. I'm going to bless Israel. I'm going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I believe in the scripture in the full, um, the full scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. God has chosen Israel. God has not forgotten his covenant, covenant with Israel. I'm going with God. Amen. Now, moving over to the chair of philosophy, I actually want to throw you a bit of a curveball because some people will say, are, are you green lighting every single thing that Israel and the Israeli government has done? Absolutely not. Okay. So philosophically, how should we as Christians walk that line? In short. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Let's give an example here. If Israel had bombed the hospital, and they did not, but if they had, holy cow, we should have been coming unglued on that. It was vetted. It was verified. But what I'm saying is, if, if they've done something wrong along that kind of line, whatever it might be, we need to stand up against that. We need to voice that. And, and say that's not, that's not something God would approve of. That's not right. War is war. Okay, war is killing. Understood. In a situation like that, when you're talking about a hospital that's trying to help people, uh, that even, even in the Civil War, we had respect under things like that. You know, and so I think... For me, when I look from the philosophical thing, and I want to go back to what I said earlier real quick, you don't have to believe in the Bible. You don't have to believe in the God of the Bible. The thing is, if we're right, we're doing the right thing, and there's no consequence to us. If you're wrong, and you should have been believing, there is a major consequence for you. That's the difference. So the love of wisdom, the search for wisdom, what would be the wise thing to do? If you're not sure, you should be hooking up on the God side. That's, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. And by the way, I, I think two things can be true at once. I think two things can be true at once. You can say, I don't like this or that action. By the way, Israel has done some screwed up stuff. Like, yes. like, like they bombed the USS Liberty in the 1990s and they napalmed our, our people. And whether that was an accident, mistake, or there, there's a whole theory on that. There's a whole bunch of stuff. We can say wrong is wrong. And, when, when, and we can hold that in this head here. And we can also say it's also true that by and large, we're supporting the Jewish people. Okay, we can hold both things at the same time. We can support the Jewish people and call balls and strikes when yes. there's something that's wrong. Yep. We can do that. That's legal. That's possible. Moving over to Jason. So final thoughts for the day from the culture chair. You know, in Christianity, I, I, I think that we've we've really lost the culture in a lot of ways. And what we see every day in our culture is this growing anti-Semitism. How should the church be responding to that? Final thoughts. Well, <clears throat> since the beginning of the church, hate in any form was not loud. I mean, Jesus even said, if you hate your brother, it's the same as murder. So you shouldn't be anti-anybody. Now, when it comes to 
the Jewish race. Again, Jesus said, go to the Jews first. So they get a somewhat of a special treatment from us. But again, it goes back to your, your um, point of that doesn't mean that they get a free pass on everything either. Right. And so as a, as, which is, it's, it's funny. If you call out anything that Israel does wrong, you know, there's one side that says, okay, well, you're anti-Semitic, you're on the other side. And then if you don't say anything that Israel does is wrong, then, you know, you're, uh, you're supporting, in it for the schmeckles. Yeah, yeah. You're supporting genocide and, and all that kind of stuff. And both those are wrong. Right. Um, well, we, we won't get into yeah, the things yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, we could say that Israel has done wrong. But as far as a culture goes, you know, I think the other thing is we have to check our own hearts, too. You know, when we really look at what's going on in the church, we've been invaded with hedonism big time mm. in our philosophy. Mm. The, if you guys know what hedonism is, it's the pursuit of individual pleasure in the avoidance of pain, right? If you can't discipline your kids anymore, that's hedonism right? Cause discipline is, is pain it causes pain, right? Um, the celebration of self, you know, you, you hear the, you know, what's your truth. We hear that all the time. That's in the church. That's big time in the church, right? And the church is made of, of people. So if you're part of the church, you have to kind of look at your own heart. Now, am I letting these philosophies, um, you know, the, the avoidance of, I think the avoidance of pain is a big thing that's really hurting us right now. You know, you can't offend anybody. That's the big thing with, with, you know, mm-hmm. saying, you know, transgender, you know, if you say anything against transgender or it offends them. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like a, a gospel that doesn't offend you can't save you. That's mm-hmm. the, at the, at the end of the day, a gospel that doesn't offend you can't save you. Right. Uh, so, um, I think as individuals, we really have to check our own hearts on this and there's a there's a great uh i'm gonna give it to the chinese but it may not be a chinese proverbs it says that every, if every man would sweep his own door the world would stay clean hmm. you know and so that's the church if you want the church to stay clean you gotta sweep your own door start with the culture at home it's less important who's in the white house as opposed to what you're doing in your house yeah i agree moving over to steve uh, final thoughts, wrapping up on the political side, we've seen some of the negative things that happen when we have a bad eschatology, a bad theology surrounding the Jews. Um, what should we be doing as Christians politically from the political chair in short? Need to turn Steve up, please. It better. I'm always messing there you go. up with this mic. All right. Um, Politically, we need to stop supporting a lot of terrorists. Like Iran. Thing, like Iran, giving them a ton of money that we've done before. 80, trillion, or 80 to, billion dollars over the last two and a half years correct. to Iran, which Hamas is the proxy. So, yeah. yeah. Talking and, common and, sense. Do you think that's, you know, that's really right and, to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, that makes absolutely no sense. And what you're doing is, is just, it's just you know, no. they don't write. And, you know, you're, you're help funding terrorist organizations. And, you know, we need to politically stand up. For Israel, it's like those who bless Israel are going to be blessed. And, you know, pretty much we are the only country in the world 
that stands up and supports Israel. Think about that. Out of all of the countries in this entire world, we are the only one that does that. And America is not even mentioned in the Bible. So when we stop supporting Israel, what happens? Question to think about. Exactly. Agreed. Amen and amen. And from the economic chair, okay, we've already said it, $80 billion down the hole to Iran. If, so, and and you got to be careful out there because there's a lot of conservative commentators who are coming out and they are kind of anti-Semitic. And, and it's really a shock to me. There are some who aren't, and they're saying, stop the tap, stop paying any money to the Middle East. If I can't just support Israel, stop giving money to Egypt, Iran, Sudan, Jordan. Stop giving it to all these other people. Syria, stop giving it to Libya, know. Syria. Stop giving it to all these other people. Just stop. Just stop any money whatsoever, none, because you cannot do it right. That's not necessarily anti-Semitic, as we've laid it out. However... What I would say is, is that we as Christians should consider putting forth policies that we are supporting Israel. But more importantly than that, what I would say is, is invest your time. Invest your time into a friend or a family member who's Jewish. Start to invest your time. I'm not saying that you're trying to convert them. I'm saying, again, remember, you're looking to show them that Messiah has come. Invest your time because God has a special place in his heart for these people and you should too. If you enjoyed this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe, all of that good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for over 200,000 downloads and counting uh, anywhere that you can find a, a podcast. Mr. Charlie says, why don't you say Apple, Spotify? I, you know, it's like, I didn't even know we were on Spotify. Yes, we've been on Spotify. We've been on Spotify, iTunes. Uh, uh, podcast addict yes mr producer all over we anywhere you can find a podcast i think we've nailed it there's like 40 some odd podcast catchers so if you name it it's out there you can find it now uh youtube i don't know what's happening but youtube is is all of a sudden picking up it's almost like the ban has been so removed the, you posted so. the uh, one the other day and it had but if you've used in less than 24 hours. So I'm wondering if we haven't been saying enough of the naughty words. So we're, 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 we've got to make sure that we call, you know, the corn, the corn, corn hub or any of those other things. We've got to like add in those. I wonder if that was part of the automated reduction in traffic because we used to get thousands of views. And now, you know, you go on YouTube, you'll see Rumble. Thank you, Rumble. Uh, everyone who's on YouTube, Go to Rumble. What are you doing on YouTube anyway? They hate you. And Rumble doesn't specifically dislike you. So maybe maybe consider that. Thank you, Rumble, for having us on. Again, maybe in the future we'll go on X. We'll see. Uh, we are on Twitter or X, at Further Every Day on the X. And uh, you can see all sorts of trouble and shenanigans over there. With that said, we love you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we got nothing else for you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, one more thing for you. One more thing for you. Uh, tell us in the comment section down below. I'm going to ask this question here. Tell us in the comment section, what Old Testament era figure inspired you the most in life? Growing up or today, what Old Testament figure to go to has given you the most inspiration? Miss Nikki. Proverbs 31 woman. Hey, that's a good, that's a good inspiration. I'm going Moses. Very good. Jason. Are we explaining why? Yes. If you want to. 
Why? Why? Some of them are self-evident. Are you asking your mother why? <laughs> yes. I, I think the world needs to hear it. Because the Proverbs 31 woman is a very, she's a godly woman who is a wonderful wife, mother, businesswoman, independent-minded, yet submissive and obedient to her husband, raised up as a blessed woman, has her life together, has her home together, and she's the type of woman we shall all be looking at. All of us? Comments section. All of us women. She's the original original (laughs) modern woman. What the modern woman wanted to be, the Proverbs 31 woman always has been. Yes. Moses, for me, the epitome of feeling like a failure made too grave a mistake cannot cannot do what i'm supposed to do hides out in the backside of the desert for 40 years god speaks to him and becomes convinced i can with god's help i can and he did amen jason i'm gonna throw a curveball well i mean go ahead people people inspire you throughout different times of your life right Mm-hmm. Old Testament, son. Old Testament figures inspire you throughout different times Old of your Testament. life. Old Testament. Good grief. I'm going to say Cain. Okay. Why? And um, here's, a, here's the story of Cain, right? Cain gets jealous against his brother. He kills his brother, right? Now, God warned him, hey, sin's lying at your door. You need to overcome this. That's what God commands Cain. Hey, sin's lying at your door. You need to overcome this. Cain doesn't overcome it. Kills his brother. God punishes Cain and say, hey, you're going to be a vagabond for the rest of your life, right? Cain says, hey, this is, this is too great for me. If, if anybody finds me, they're going to kill me. Now, here's a catch. Cain knew everybody in the world at this time, <laughs> right? But Cain knows everybody. So he says, hey, there's somebody. He knows he's got a name with this, this comment, right? He's like, this person here, when they find out what I did to Abel, they're coming for me. So Cain goes and he builds the first city. Now in the Bible, a city is a town with a wall around it. So God gave Cain a promise that, hey, if anybody kills you, I want to punish them seven times, right? So God gave Cain a promise. That was a, one of the biggest acts of mercy that God ever did to anybody, right? Cain doesn't believe God. So he goes and he builds a town with a wall around it. He walls himself out. From everybody he knows, he walls himself in. Then you look at what happens later on in the lineage of Cain. You have Lamech, right? So seven times seven. Yeah, seventy. Yeah, seven times seven. Hey, Cain didn't have a right to kill Abel. This guy that that you know insulted me. I had a right to kill him. So if God's going to protect Cain seven times, you know, seven times, He's going to protect me seventy times seven. And you have this thing of when we don't trust God. What does that do to our lives? You know, it just, it just walls us off from everything that God would have for us. It was a big world. There's not a whole lot of people in the world right now. And you think about Cain now is just stuck in this little walled city for the rest of his life because he's scared. One, he doesn't believe God's promise. And two, he's scared of the people he knows. When he could have got lost in the world. Somewhere. Yeah. Very good. Man, I can't think of someone in the Old Testament. Oh, All on. I can think of is well, who I've always thought of in the New Testament, and that was always Paul. Oh, come uh, on. Sorry, you don't I'm have sorry, someone in the Old Testament. The, the, you know, 
old testament. Uh, <laughs> what what is that? Just say An God. Old just testament. say God. Come on, Steve. Yeah. God. You, uh, you had five minutes while Jason was going uh, on. Uh, Joseph. Yeah. That's a pretty that, good one. Joseph's know, a good one. You know, and uh Fleeing you know, Temptation. Yeah. Faithful through it all. And he was, you know, faithful through it and you know, and and you know, with a lot of things that have happened through me to my in my life and uh you know, I've committed myself to to the church and just continue to do and I that's basically just what I want to do and continue being that way. Amen. So if I was going to meme, I would say Ehud because he had to graphically ex explain why he plunged his left-handed dagger into the king's gut and the lover folder. <laughs> but I'm not going to meme. I'm going to say Daniel. Daniel, oh, because like he had courage in the face of certain death and God walked with him. By the way, the one male in the Old Testament that there's nothing bad said. There might be one or two others, like, like yeah. Enoch and one or two others, but I'm talking about a prophet who was actually, there's a lot of information on him. He had a lot of time. Nothing was ever said bad about Daniel. Interesting note. He was he was a man of, of integrity, of honor, and he was someone man, who man. laid it on the line for God and he carried, he carried the water. Mr. Producer, just favorite Old Testament. Inspiration. Jesus. That, <laughs> old See, he's, Old he's, Testament. He's I told you I was coming for you. Before too, so. Abraham was, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't. David, why? Man after God's own heart. But then he sins. He... Yeah, he murdered Uriah the Hittite, and he committed adultery, but God still forgave him. Psalm 51, by the way, if you ever want to grow closer to God, and you and God has brought your sin before you, go read Psalm 51 and read it back to God. And read it back to God. Walk the steps of David, because it took a year. It took a year for God to finally bring David to the place where he could recognize how evil it was, but you read in Psalm 51 how it tore David apart every yes. day that he was at odds with God because the Spirit of God was upon David. My mother said this one time. She said, there's no one so miserable as the Christian who is at odds with the Spirit of God. Duly noted. Yep. Anyway, with that cheery thought, if you have unrepented <laughs> sin go and repent and this is to me as well just as much as anyone in here or out there we love you so much thank you have a wonderful day bye bye bye, bye.